Hello and welcome to The Dive Down, a Magic the Gathering podcast for the casual spike focused on the latest decks, trends, and strategies in modern. My name is Stanislav here in Chicago, and with me on the line from Denver, Colorado, it's the one and only Shane Beeps. Stan, I'm super jealous about the episode that you and Zach are about to have without me. That's too bad. <laughs> I'll have to survive. At least, I mean, none of us. No, Dave's not even here. He's going to get like to sniff this. You're just going to have to listen on Friday like the rest of America and the world abroad. Also with me here in Chicago, it's the <laughs> warden, Zach Colhan. I feel truly blessed to be here doing what I'm doing today. Dave is on vacation this week, but we do have a very special guest to fill his absence, as Shane alluded. It's Channel Fireball's Riley Knight. He's not here actually right now, but (laughs) before Riley joins us, the three of us are going to kick things off with a breakdown of some recent Magic Online results. Then for the dive down, Riley Knight will join Zach and myself for a conversation about some of his favorite decks in Modern his take on the current meta. We're going to talk about magic broadcasting, as well as answer questions submitted by our listeners. But first, some housekeeping. We want to send a very special cross-podcast thanks to the hosts of Yo! MTG Taps. They were very kind to give us a shout-out on a recent episode, so we want to return the favor. You can find them basically wherever you listen to podcasts or stream their show directly from ymtgt.com. Yeah, thanks a lot for the shout-out, guys. I can't believe we were the very first pod to be featured in your new segment. So we feel the love. We appreciate the love. Uh, you know, Yo! MTG Taps is a really old-school podcast. They've been around for a long time, and they're just making a, a recent comeback to the podcast scene. So give them your support. Go check them out. They're a lot of fun to listen to, and uh, they've got a good vibe. So check them out. Yeah, if you're interested in modern, standard, magic in general, they kind of cover the whole gamut. Also, a huge thanks to our newest patrons, Kevin Z, Matt P, Michael H, and Chandler G. Thank you so much for joining the Dive Down Nation. As of last week's show, we've capped our second earning goal. And I feel like I'm saying this every week now, but I cannot believe how much support we have received from our listeners. We appreciate you all so very much. And we've been autographing Dive Down cards furiously, so we can mail those out to you all as soon as possible. We're also working our very own David to the bone, designing stickers for our patrons. And next up, we're going to commission a comic artist to make some original tokens for the show and our listeners. So keep an eye on our Twitter and our Patreon, because... We'll probably be publishing some more polls in the near future as we decide between possible designs for Dive Down Swag. Yeah, we're honestly just humbled by the amount of support we've had from just people from honestly over the world joining our Slack group, sharing deck lists, just talking the talk, walking the walk. It's been really fun just goofing off with our patrons, just having a really good time. I've seen some really neat polls from Modern Horizons and some really neat deck lists shared. It's just been overall a really fun time. Yeah, we got a lot of experts from basically across modern so we have our dredge folk and our prison folk and our control folk and our smallpox folk it's it's all over the place i feel like there's always someone to chat with someone to talk about modern and and magic and and cats apparently yeah we have a small but noticeable contingent of 10 rack players as well so everyone's really out there doing their thing 
Yeah, I'm especially fond of the off-topic channel because, like, so many of our listeners and our patrons have really adorable pets. Yeah, if you like cat photos or dog photos, they're always showing up in off-topic. Um, we're actually already surprisingly close then to our next stretch goal, which at 2.50 an episode, we will be making our dive-down Patreon playmats and get those Ooh. in production. So, yeah, keep on coming in. Join the Dive Down Nation. We appreciate you. Of course, the show's always free. You don't have to give anything, um, but we appreciate any and all support uh, you want to give us. So thanks again. Thank you, fans. All right, with all that out of the way, let's jump over to Zach at the news desk. Yeah, so today we're going to be talking about three different uh, results from online. Two dumps, one from June 12th, another one from June 14th, and then we're talking about the modern challenge that happened on June 15th. Yeah, some wild stuff already showing up. Yeah, yeah, so these these all include Modern Horizons cards. So the 5-0 dump from 612 from June 12th had some really neat stuff. Um, I know that they aim it to be more diverse and, and feature more, you know, varied decks as opposed to maybe just the deck that won the most, quote-unquote. But there are some really neat stuff in here, especially a lot of monocolor decks, which is pretty neat for modern in general. I personally was a pretty big fan of Assault High Snow List. It's uh, really interesting. It's like Jund, essentially, just with a little bit of blue in it as well. But just really interesting to see the use of all the new Modern Horizons cards. And who knows if this deck is, you know, more than a flash in the pan. But it's really cool to see, you know, four or five different cards show up in a list like this. So I mentioned a deck like this that we saw at the SEG Invitational. Showed up with the 612 and the 614 deck dump by the pilot 122 Pablo. And this is the Bant Devoted Carnbow, as I'm calling it, deck. And this actually doesn't feature any new Modern Horizons cards, but it is apparently a, a really new and solid build that people are putting up results with. You know, he wants to put up that, he wants to make that infinite green mana with Devoted Druid and Vizier of Remedies, just that two card combo. But then that can be used for a whole mess of things, most frequently killing with a gigantic walking ballista. Does the inclusion of Karn in this list start to make you worry that he might be eating a ban or <laughs> something might be getting banned? No, no. I, I and like I don't I don't think that I still don't think it's too powerful, but it's just showing up in any list that can make an okay amount of mana. And yeah. I start to worry that the ubiquitous ubiquitousness of it might be a bad thing. Yeah, it's a bit worrisome, right? It's like anything that's ramping has very little better to do than than play some Karn the Great Creators and, and use the mana. Exactly. It's especially good in this strategy because once you're making infinite mana, you have the ability to combo off in a variety of ways, and one of them is just cast a Karn the Great Creator and you know, potentially get a Mycus Atlantis and just play it that way. So what this deck is doing, as opposed to just operating as like a fragile creature toolbox strategy that wants to combo off with like the the beatdown strategy in its back pocket it has different kind of backup plans like with Karn the great creator which can then tutor up your wishboard pieces like that lethal walking ballista and you have different tutors with finale of devastation oath of nissa you have different ramp with the arbor elf and utopia sprawl combo you have different kinds of protection now with teferi time raveler and when you have teferi time raveler out you're able to cast your sorcery speed tutors like finale of devastation at the end of your turn untap, have protection with Teferi, and then 
put your final combo pieces down to finish off the opponent. Devoted combo decks like these are popping up in a lot of different forms across the last two deck dumps. Keep your eyes for ones you see that are performing well. If you're into decks like these, I think you should grab your playset of the finale of Devastation before too long. I think 7 is going to be its bottom. It is a mythic. So I'm almost certainly going to be testing this for our Sleeve Believe Eve Modern Horizons edition episode in the near future. So we'll have some more details on that, I think. Yeah, this deck looks very powerful. I think... uh... The Devoted Combo is sort of a strategy that's always been viable, or at least fringe viable, and it's a deck that I think now is just, if if not Tier 1 and then about to be Tier 1, it's consistent, has multiple ways to win, and it's just nonsense. Yeah, there's some interesting ones with uh, Giver of Runes is making an appearance to protect the combo. Right. There's some that have a lot more creatures. They're more of the toolbox style. There's some that have a, a few creatures like this one that just seek to sort of recur the important pieces back with Eternal Witness. So, yeah. One of the things that I think is neat about this deck is that it's not soft to force of negation, really. Unless right. unless you're getting Karn, but you don't need to use non-creature spells to execute your combo. So I think that's kind of cool. It, it does seem a little vulnerable to the Black Force, which I kind of feel is pretty underplayed right now. Yeah, I think it's cool that a deck like this can have a bunch of different viable builds and a bunch of different, you know, sort of one-ofs or toolbox stuff. Although I personally am not a big fan of this deck, I think it's cool that a powerful deck doesn't have, you know, a, a solve 75. There's a lot of different, you know, your spin you can put on it. I've got a rad deck for you guys. Can I interest you in Jeskai Humans? Sure. No, thank you. I just ate. <laughs> yeah, so basically Jeskai Humans is this deck that I, I think is fairly new, and I've been seeing it pop up over the last couple of weeks, and it seems to be emerging based on the power level of a number of Modern Horizon cards. Giver of Runes for one, Unsettled Mariner for two, and then I'm seeing Fiery Islets, Islets, and Sun-Baked Canyons in there. Uh, the deck is also running Kessig Malcontents, which wasn't you know typically vogue in earlier humans lists to my to my memory. Yeah, I think the transformation or pairing down to three colors makes a lot of sense to me. When we had our humans episode, the biggest issue I ran into was mana problems, where you would have cavernous souls on things or have certain, you know, issues where you couldn't cast your deputy attentions or your other cards that weren't humans. And I feel like getting rid of those other colors, although you do lose a noble hierarch, which is notable, you you don't have, uh, it's easier to cast your cards and not get stuck because you had to name something yeah so in addition to noble hierarch the deck is also dropping kite sail freebooters which removes that one two punch that you got from freebooter and meddling mage right but the addition of giver of ruins and unsettled mariner i think are designed to help offer that protection that the previous combo used to have either by taxing the opponent's interaction or just by giving your creatures protection from you know whatever color they're using to get rid of your creatures i mean to me this looks really like a trade-off between your ability to have kind of like that selective disruption that freebooter provides with just flying through your deck with the full what is it seven horizon lands in fiery islet and sun bay canyon so yeah you know, you just really are able to use your life as a resource, dig through your deck with these Horizon lands. You know, it, I'm surprised that they're only playing one non-creature sideboard card in Rest in Peace, but you know, you're typically unable to play any card that ha- that isn't a creature in a human sideboard. Well, this one has four Bolt in the yeah, main Yeah, I was going to say, this one's running Lightning Bolt in the main. Hallelujah. 
Yeah, I mean, it's also adding Restoration Angel, I think, is just a value play. I really like the Spell Quellers in the sideboard, both for additional interaction and an answer to four mana Wraths. Yeah, I mean, if you're getting rid of uh, Kitesail Freebooter, you have to have a way to deal with board wipes, otherwise you can't do anything. So especially them not expecting you to bring in a three mana spirit in your humans deck is some fun spice. I would definitely not play around that card. Now I would, but previously I would not have expected that. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that I think is interesting is the deck is still somewhat vulnerable to Blood Moon. It's got three flooded strands and a basic plane, but you, it doesn't have an island in there. So, like, if you're Blood Mooning hmm. the opponent... You can't cast Mantis Rider, can't cast Meddling Mage, can't cast Phantasmal Image, can't cast Reflector Mage... Yeah, interesting call. I I think part of that is I think Blood Moon's power is down a little bit right now. I think especially from playing online lately, I've seen a lot of people trying the snow decks, so they're fetching for basics early and often. So when people are playing around Blood Moon sometimes without even realizing it, Blood Moon gets less good. I I don't know if this is a, a permanent thing. I think that this is more of a flash in the pan and we'll see what sorts out. But when people are running basics and once again aggressively going to get them turns one and two all of a sudden you turn one blood moon not as powerful yeah i think one of the things i'm just going to keep an eye on moving forward is whether or not decks like blue white spirits and jeskai humans are gaining anything from cutting the noble hierarchs and being a little bit more consistent and fewer colors rather than stretching into five color territory yeah it's just so interesting like during the humans episode, we talked about how much we wanted to see a hierarch in our opening hand, and mm-hmm. now they're cutting them. Mm-hmm. So it'll be interesting to see if Jeskai humans becomes more of a staple, and we have to go back and revisit it. Yeah, I, I mean, one of the things that I keep thinking about is whether or not this might just be a faster deck because speed is the name of the game right now. If you're trying to beat turn two or turn three Hogak kills, having some kind of answer or present your own game-winning threat that early in the game might give this deck legs in the future. Right. I mean, as we all know, Bolt will close out games, right? Sometimes you just have two and they're at six and it's game over. All right. So we also want to touch on the 5-0 deck dump that was released on June 14th. And one of the things that both Zach and I really appreciate in this one was this red-black goblins list. Yeah, this is played by Thierry Folix 92 And this deck is, it looks like... No joke, a kitchen table deck. And what I mean when I say that is there's a bunch of, like, one-ofs and two-ofs. And just, like, it seems like someone, you know, went through their collection, their friend's collection, and went, yeah, these are all red-black goblins, right? And just, like, it looks so much fun to play. Like, a single Kiki-Jiki, a single Wart Bogart Bogart Ante, two Pashalik Mons, two Munitions Expert, a single Terminate, one Dreadbore. It just, it seems very interesting and just has a lot of ways to answer things. I'm. I don't know. I'm. I'm excited for this. It's cool, and I don't know. Goblin seems to be opening up more and more as a strategy, and this list would be something I'd love to sit across from my LGS. Yeah. Besides the mana base, it's like they went to the LGS and were like, "Hey, could you uh, just give me all the black red goblins?" Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever you have in stock, I'll take that many. It is interesting to see goblins operate as a toolbox driven by the four goblin matrons, so you can tutor up essentially whatever you want. If you remember, during the set review, I definitely said Galamatron was not too expensive at three mana. Oh, sure. I, I said she was too expensive. I've also seen another list that 5 Doe that was running for Bogart Harbinger, which tutors it to the top of your deck and not into your hand. And that one was running a lot more one and two ofs. That one was more like a goblin toolbox deck. 
So who knows where the strategy is going to go and evolve, but I think running a lot of two of goblins might be a viable modern strategy, and that's just hilarious to me. Yeah, besides Goblin Matron, this doesn't have any other ways to really get through the deck, which is pretty amusing to me. Like, what are you going to do when you've cast 10 cards and you're just top decking, hoping that your goblins go wide enough? Yeah, hoping that that's enough to do it, right? Yeah, maybe you can call, call against command a Goblin Matron back. Have you guys seen this uh, M20 spoiler? Have you seen Check it? I'm a Goblin Ringleader. Is a Goblin Ringleader. It's Goblin Ringleader. Yeah, that's going to be nuts. I just... <sighs> There's a lot of cool builds you can do. Some people run, you know, Warren Instigator, things like that, that are dumping goblins from your hand. There's just a lot of different viable strategies, I think. I mean, a lot of different viable strategies within, you know, a small range. But your your goblin deck can look different from someone else's goblin deck, and both can still be competitive. And I think that's cool, once again. My truly favorite thing about this uh, Black Red Goblins deck is that Wart Bogart Auntie has the keyword fear with no reminder <laughs> yeah. text, and I've got no idea. I have no idea what fear does. It can't be blocked. Is that can like only be blocked by fe- black creatures or something? Oh, okay. Yeah, artifacts don't get scared. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. They change it to intimidate. I just, yeah, I just can't it. believe this deck doesn't have unearth, but maybe K Command is good enough. Yeah, who knows? Maybe the person just couldn't get their hands on some. Like, like I said, this deck just seems like <laughs> seriously. Like, all right, uh, time to go. Uh, I guess I have a wart in my binder. Let's do it. So one of the things I noticed here was Mardu Octomancer is what uh, Goldfish is calling it. And the, this deck is running four Young Peasy, four Seasoned Peasy, the Zesty Boy, two Dr. Yogmoths, and one of every modern player's favorite Monastery Mentor. So this deck clearly just wants to be casting spells, discarding spells, generating tokens, sacrificing them when necessary to clear the opposing creatures out of the way, generate some card advantage. It has most of the typical Mardu Pyromancer spells, but it's also adding three Unearth and a single Kaya's Guile in the main deck. There's another Guile in the sideboard along with two Plague Engineer. I think Plague Engineer is a really, really nice uh, sideboard yeah. card, especially in, in for every black deck. I've been seeing Plague Engineer in the sides of a lot of decks recently. This deck looks just like Grind City to me, and it, to me it has uh, Big Daddy Harbarger's name written all over it. I'm really excited to hopefully see him able to test it out soon if it keeps putting up some 5-0s. Yeah, seeing Dave get to play a Monastery Mentor token-based deck for our Sleeve Believe Heave episode would be something special indeed. We said it couldn't be done. Yeah, and lo and behold, Wizard saw it fit to humble us once again. Sometimes it do be like that. All right, let's move on to the June 15th Modern Challenge, because this is the one that is probably going to make everyone scared, concerned, and nervous, and maybe even a little hyperbolic. Yeah, so we avoided mentioning the Necropolis in the room up until this point, but I think we can <laughs> no longer avoid him. So this is the top eight for the Modern Challenge that happened on June 15th. We have Bridgevine, 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 Mono Red Phoenix, Blue Eye Control, Mono Red Phoenix, Dredge. Oh, and pulling up the rear, what is that? Uh, the the fourth Bridgevine in the top eight. Oh my gosh, I love it. And this this is not even it's not even remotely unexpected. Like everyone was like, okay, we're gonna have to come in with a with the plan against Bridgevine. Four Bridgevine. And apparently, two Phoenix. Did not work. <laughs> Zero Flusterstorm. No. No, and it says you as you page down through this, 
two, you do see more and more decks. You see more mono red Phoenix builds. You see a few more Bridgevine builds, but it seems pretty, you know, inbred in a little way. Like, you know, everyone's sideboard looks tacked against the expected meta. Like these Bridgevine's decks are, are packing for Leyline of the Void, for Leyline of the Void, for Leyline of the Void. You know, even the mono red Phoenix deck is running, uh, you know, Anger of the Gods, like a three set of. I saw another mono red Phoenix deck running Kozilek's Return, which I haven't seen in a modern sideboard in a minute. I read a very interesting comment the other day that uh, the phrase is often that Force of Will is sort of the glue that holds Legacy together, and someone posited that Leyland of the Void and Surgical Extraction are the glue holding Modern together right now, and I don't think that's a good thing. Like, no, no, yeah, stop. like countering spells and stopping combos. Okay, that's fine for Legacy, but I shouldn't have to have free quote unquote free graveyard hate in order to play Modern or have a good chance. Like honestly, the other day I was about to queue up into a league with Mono Red Prison and I couldn't find ley lines to rent online, so I couldn't do it because I didn't feel comfortable playing the league without ley lines in my sideboard, and that's that's bad, right? Like that's not a good sign for a healthy format. Yeah, one of the things that it's interesting, Zach. You mentioned um, surgical extraction, and we said last week that surgical doesn't do a lot against this deck. And based on people's sides sideboards, you might be willing to believe that even more. It's people are just going full stop for ley lines. Yeah, I'm, you know they're not even trying to rely on this this point based graveyard removal. Yeah, no, that's fair. Because really, you need to hit bridge with surgical, and you need to hit it early. And even then, they can fight through it. So you need to hit bridge and either apply pressure or then also hit vegvine or something. Yeah. It's just it's 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 a lot to need. And even then, they can maybe still get through it, which is nonsense. So I want to mention that Leyline of the Void is good against other decks. Phoenix oh, sure, is still absolutely. Around. I mean, Storm, Dredge yeah, is still around. Storm, sure thing, might make a comeback since it's got some new cards. Yeah, one of the issues though is that you know you're, you weren't frequently seeing uh, the full playset of Leyline of the Void in like you know a quarter of the decks in a in a competition in a tournament. Right, absolutely. I mean, even if I was expecting Storm at a big meta, I don't know if in my mono red prison I would be looking at Ley Lines as a card to stop them, right? Or other combo graveyard based decks. And like it certainly is good. That's not the argument, but I don't know if that's a card I would reach for right away, right away just because it is uncastable in a lot of decks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, a full nine of the decks I believe ran the full playset. No, ten decks ran the full playset of Leyland of the Void in their sideboard out of thirty-two decks. Huh? Huh? That's that's fine. That's how Magic's supposed to be. Yeah, it's just it gets to like you know. Did you draw your hate card, and did they draw their anti-hate card? And it's just, you know, people like to say that's what Modern is all about, and if Modern does continue to be that, then it's a less fun format to play, in my opinion. Right. It's it's less of what people have come to expect of the format, and I think what most people want out of it. Yeah. So after spending, like, the first four months of the year defending Phoenix and saying how we shouldn't ban it, I feel like I would be a hypocrite to sound the alarms that this deck is somehow a bigger problem you know it's only week two maybe we can spend a little bit more time trying to figure out what we're going to do about it before we get rid of cards from the format entirely you don't think it it being faster is an issue i think it's week two and we should give players a chance to come up with some solutions organically 
what kind of solutions are we talking about? Like, you know, well, the, <laughs> 10 of the decks were running Leyland of the Voids, and they still put up, what, four into the top eight? Is that correct? Yeah. yeah. And also, Stan, there were two Phoenixes in that top eight as well. So I, I, I don't know. I don't know. They were mono red Phoenix. True. Cacao. <laughs> that bird burns differently. <laughs> That's what my dad said about me at a young age. You know, it's weird. I thought there were more Arclight Phoenix decks in the top 32, but there's only three of them. Interesting. And that two of them are good enough to get top eight, so hey. Yeah, that deck is really fast. I mean, I will say I am nervous about Bridgevine. I do feel as a modern player that if I want to compete at competitive REL events, I will need to have ley lines handy. And I will obviously feel like I'm disadvantaged if I don't. Right. But these things move in cycles. I want a little bit more breathing room before we decide that it's a problem unless R&D tells us it is a problem and that's why we're banning something because they have data we don't. Sure, absolutely. You know, Yeah, exactly. That's where I was going to go, Stan. Well, oh, cuz like the way I see it, we survived the is it spring. Well, I, I think I'm I'm thinking back to some of the things you said, Stan, especially you said Stan, um was you know, perhaps people it was a lot of groupthink, right? Like people were saying it's the best deck, it's the most consistent deck, and so we saw play percentages of 20% of the room maybe bringing uh, Is It Phoenix. And the data behind it said, you know, maybe it was like a 53, 54% deck. Still quite mm-hmm. good. You know, you, you flip you flip a, a slightly weighted coin enough times, you're going to come out ahead. But we do not know the exact win percentage over thousands of matches like they have a Magic the Gathering online. And so I think we will see, you know, if, if Hogak is beating non-Hogak decks at like a 58% win rate, that's where we saw KCI at his absolute peak was something in the, you know, the higher than mid-50s. And I think that's really what caused Wizards to act along with the lack of interactivity, along with the uninteresting play patterns. So I think we'll see what happens you know, once they have a larger set of data with Hogak decks. And if it's, if it's bad, then I think we'll see it get banned. And I'm not, I don't even want to, I don't even want to say get banned. I think we'll just see some kind of action happen if it's really bad. And if not, it'll fix itself. Absolutely. Honestly, what I hope for the most is they just continue the trend of explaining why or why not they're doing something. So if the new, you know, BNR comes around and nothing happens, I would, honestly really expect for and hope for a reasoning why and not just oh we think it's okay but looking at these numbers we've thought about it and this is why and i don't need you know super data-driven explanation behind why they don't but i just like that extra bit of explanation how would you feel if the next bnr was less b and more r and modern had its first ever this card is restricted Never happening. Yeah, um, I, I think they don't do that. The only reason that even exists for Vintage is because they want you to be able to, quote-unquote, play all the cards. But it, I, I forget who said this exactly. I've read it on Mark Rosewater's blog, but I don't know if it's attributed to him, that in a restricted format, it sort of becomes about who can draw their restricted card first. Like Shane said about sideboard hate, imagine if every game was like that and you're just trying to get to whatever card's restricted. It, it just it tilts the game more in the chance of probability and less about skill, I think. Also, for Vintage, the amount of decks that get registered for Vintage tournaments is probably, what, sub-100 in a year? <laughs> and so Be nice. <laughs> that makes... that. I mean, I mean, I mean, it's being realistic. Uh, the But the number of modern decks that registered in a year would be outrageous. And for them to do 
the number of deck checks probably required to have a significant sample oh, size to ensure people were, were following restrictions would be, I think the overhead would be too much. Just along with people being aware of it, you know, they're not, they might show up and be like, oh, I didn't know that card was restricted. And so who knows? That's, but I don't think it's happening in modern. I think it's an interesting thought though, Stan. This is what I'm paid to do. I, li- I like your thought experiment. But don't worry, guys. Uh, in fact, was in ninth place. So. <laughs> and it's also, it's not all doom and gloom. There was a really interesting bring to light Battle of a Wits deck that placed. And I I love this nonsense. It's uh, There's like not a ton of card acceleration. It's just efficient answers until you can hit a tutor and do something to win. The person who piloted this wrote a really uh, interesting write-up on Reddit that you can go check out if you want to. Maybe we can post the link in our show notes. It's just... Mm. It's so bizarre. Like this, this deck looks like it's like you took a bunch of EDH decks, mashed them together, and just went. I don't know. This is what I'm doing today. The next BNR announcement is fairly soon. It's on July 8th, so we'll see what the next couple weeks hold. Maybe Hogak is a problem, and everyone is right to be concerned. Maybe Battle of Wits is the real threat that we should be aware of. <laughs> oh my! Can you imagine? Hogak is fine. Here's why: Battle of Wits banned. No explanation. Yeah, oh, I I think I would, like, try to wake myself up. Like, I, I would have to think it was some sort of evil dark dream I was in. We call those nightmares, I guess. That's what a dark dream is. <laughs> <laughs> a weird dark dream. I don't know what to call this. But yeah, but we have we have Dallas-Fort Worth um, in a week. So the, a week from this when this episode launches will be Dallas Fort Worth Modern GP. Shane, that's what I said last time and I was wrong. So we have to be absolutely right this time about the date of Dallas. <laughs> on Ju- on on July 26th through the 28th of 2019, there will be No, nope. you mean June? That's uh, that's that's that I'm looking at Barcelona. <laughs> on June 28th through Dave. June 30th of 2019 at Dallas Fort Worth Convention Center. There will be a modern GP. Dallas Fort Worth uh, Convention you, Center. And you said um, the the BNR happens on July eighth, yeah. Stan. Yeah. They, All right. So they said they don't want to preemptively ban anything in the light of the London Mulligan. Well, it's not. It's not. It's not a. It's not a preemptive. No, no, uh, I know. So I guess the clarification is they're not worried that London Mulligan would break this. It's already broken. Yeah, and we and we have we have the SEG Team Modern event taking place soon. I think it's the same weekend as Dallas, actually. Um, and then I imagine if if Hogak decks are ridiculous in those two competitions, something may combined with the MTGO data, something may happen in early July, and then we have a number of modern GPs happening through the end of July and all through August, and I I doubt that they want things to stay bad through that. But we've said this before, we've had these conversations before. Why revisit these same looping conversations? They have the data; they're going to act on the data. All right, so that wraps up this week's breakdown. We're going to take a quick break. Shane is going to leave. Riley is going Hi, to Shane. join us. Way better exchange. Yeah, no, we, we, yeah, we traded up in value for sure. I would, take, I would take that trade any day. The new trifecta of the dive down forever <laughs> or at least until next week. Uh, it'll either happen forever or we'll just resume to normal next week. You're just going to have to tune in and find out. It's definitely one of those two options. All right, bye, Shane. <laughs> All right, guys. All right, guys, have fun. It was nice chatting Thank you, with you, buddy. Bye, Shane. Bye. Stay with us. And we're back with Riley Knight. Hello. CFB extraordinaire, 
Wow, that's a. I didn't even realize those ranks existed. I, I'll have to. I'll have to talk to uh, talk to the the accountants about getting a raise if that's if that's my rank. Yeah, if you need a letter of recommendation, you let us know. Mm-hmm. Oh, from the, <laughs> coming from the highest authority, the dive down. They'll look at that. They'll be like, "Oh, mate, double it, double it, sal- yeah. triple his salary." Thank you so much for coming on our podcast, taking this time to answer some questions for us, Absolutely. for our mutual f- listeners mm-hmm. and fans. Mm-hmm. We're really excited to pick your brain and uh, see if we can get you into an uncomfortable situation that you'll have to backpedal from later. <laughs> okay, good. Yeah. <laughs> see, so, I mean, that's the thing. You know, every everything I say here, it's uh, you know, it's gonna. We, we were talking before we came to the show. Like, I used to be a primary school teacher, and I, I hope to go back to education one day. And this is the sort of thing where the parental background check is really gonna. I'm gonna be really careful. You know, because I know you guys are going to try to uh, paint me into a corner here, so I'm going to I'm going to be I have to be deft on my toes. Absolutely. So, in fact, we're going to kick this off with a very hardball question, mm. just to show you that uh, we mean business. To show our listeners, we're not pulling back any punches. And this question actually came from a listener. We thought it was a great way to start. Mm. Tyler M wants to know, Riley. What's your favorite modern deck to play? Well, well hard-hitting investigative journalism. This is my goodness. Already, I'm already on the back foot. Um, it's funny. This 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 question is a bit of a bit more of a convoluted answer than you might think. Because I've I've sort of branded myself as this rusted on white blue mage for years now. Like ever since I started playing Magic with blue white Delver, white blue Delver, and um, man, it just it sucks. I hate it. I hate playing reactive Magic now. I don't know what's happened to me. I'm just getting old. My brain's going to mush. I don't know. But now I've started playing Scapeshift. Just because it's so easy. Like, you just count to 18. I mean, even I can do that. It's very, very easy. Um, and so as a result, my favorite deck to play in modern right now is is Scapeshift, just because of how it, it just simplifies a lot of the, the things you have to do. Like, you don't have to remember all the cards that you've got to worry about. You don't have to think about what you're going to count or what you're not going to count, all that sort of stuff. Um, you just slam and jam, and, and if they've got it, they've got it. And a lot of the time... I mean, we saw Tian Nguyen get all the way to the top eight of the last Mythic Championship with uh, with a, a brilliantly built version of Scapeshift. I'm sure we'll talk about it more, but I don't think... I mean, I, got, I actually got called out on Twitter for calling the deck easy and simple, and people saying, oh, you shouldn't devalue the achievements. People. I'm just saying, no, it's the strength of the deck. If you're playing a 16-round oh, yeah. Mythic Championship or a 15-round GP or a Magic Fest... You are going to use just less mental energy than an, than an opponent. You know, it's like saying, sure. oh, you know, you're not running a marathon probably because you're not sprinting the whole time it's like well yeah i'm not you know i'm not marathon world record holder elio kipchoge or something i don't know i'm not that bloke <laughs> and so conserving your mental energy is very important and scapeshift lets you do that especially if you're super dumb like me mm-hmm. so to, to compound on that are you saying that you don't think reactive strategies are in a good place or that you personally don't oh no, no no definitely definitely it's a personal choice uh i guess actually to a to a broader extent reactive strategies are under the weather a little bit at the moment just because of the state of the format and 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 you know i'm sure we'll talk about this in, in greater detail later on i definitely want to be proactive and modern at the moment i don't think being reactive is a good way to go because the tools to fight other proactive decks just aren't there um but I think more more broadly, there's no shame in picking a deck that you're good at, regardless of what other people say. You know, it's it. Oh yeah, absolutely. And and my personal preference at the moment is is towards a deck that allows me to to play a consistent and focused game plan that that doesn't. Like, I'm not good. At, I'm not that good at magic. I was going to say I'm not good at magic. <laughs> the, the cats at the back. Oh no, I'm not. I'm really not. Like I'm not that good at magic. I know I've hit my ceiling in terms of, you know, my skill level. I, I'm not. I don't have the the. I don't know ram to to play magic at a higher level i can't keep these 16 decision trees in my head like people like finkel can 
Um, and I don't think there's anything wrong with admitting or, or recognizing your own weaknesses and, and, and realizing the best ways to play around that. And I like playing a simple deck and, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. How often do you get to play? I play modern a lot. I play on I play on Magic Online, um, especially in the lead up to big tournaments. You know, we've got uh, we've got Magic Fest Dallas coming up in a week and a bit, and I'm you know I'm in the booth for that. And then, of course, the Mythic Championship in Barcelona. So there's no excuse. There's no excuse to not knowing the name of a card. There's no excuse to not knowing how an interaction works. You know, I I don't broadcast a particularly serious image most of the time publicly, but I do take my job really seriously. And modern is a format where you can't, um, you know, when you're in university and you rock up or college, you just rock up these and be like, oh, I'll, I'll be fine. I'll get it. I, I, can, I, can, I can go out and play D&D with my friends tonight, even though I'm exam tomorrow. Don't worry about it. I'll, I'll, I'll do it on the day. You can't do that with modern. Like someone rocks up with this deck or this card you don't know and you're sitting there desperately on Scryfall trying to figure out what it does or how it's working. Nah, you can't put yourself in that position as a broadcaster. So no, I play a lot of modern um, mainly because I don't want to ever be in the booth looking like a fool for not knowing magic. I'll, I'll look like a fool for other reasons, but not not because of the you know cards that are on the table. Sure. I think that leads really nicely into our next mm. question, which is uh, how has broadcasting paper events changed your perception of the game or like how you view uh, competitive modern magic? Um. Well... This is interesting. I can ask this question one of two ways. First of all, magic is work now, um, sure. which is and isn't a good thing. Um, it's a good thing because if I'm bored and I want to play arena, I can say, oh, well, this is technically work, right? Because I'm, you know, so I can, I can incinerate hours. You're on the clock. <laughs> exactly. I'm on the clock. Exactly, <laughs> right? Um, but the bad part of it is it definitely affects your passion. It definitely affects your love of the game because it's more of a, uh, well, it's a job, right? It's, it's something you have to do, not something you're choosing to do, which most of the time is irrelevant. But um, you don't get a lot of downtime when the format is changing week to week, especially with the way that Standard is looking at the moment. And Modern, too. Well, Modern especially probably more now than ever with Modern Horizon. So you have to stay on top of things. And that's that's, right. that's not necessarily a bad thing. But um, more broadly speaking, as, a, as, a, as an observer of the game, you get to watch and, and are forced to analyze the best players in the world solving some of the most difficult puzzles that... that magic and and i guess more broadly that life can throw at you when you're when you're attempting to find the best line or or, or approach a, a a problem with with the best solution and i'm not the only magic player who has had their perspective on life changed by magic it, it forces you to to think about you know optimization and and, and the best way to do anything and, and everything at any time but more more specifically as as a broadcaster um i guess one of the one of the biggest challenges I've faced is making magic fun and making magic interesting. Magic is very boring to watch, very very boring indeed. Unless you're a heavily heavily enfranchised person who knows the <laughs> knows you know can look at the the top left hand corner of a card and identify in which situations it's useful and bad, let alone its name and what it does. Right. Very very boring and difficult game to watch. And so one of the things I try to do as a broadcaster, the thing that's probably shifted the most when it comes to my perspective of magic as a broadcaster, is just trying to make it fun, trying to trying to get people into the minds of the, the, the people that are playing there and. And also uh, build up exciting moments because, you know, it's not like League of Legends or Overwatch or something else where you've got big explosions and fancy animation. I mean, Arena helps in right. in, in some degree, but but a lot of the a lot of the excitement has to come from the caster, and and that I think is is one of my greatest strengths as a broadcaster. It's definitely not gameplay analysis. I think it's 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 excitement and and and, and enthusiasm. Yeah, I mean, the comparison of someone pointing a bolt at a player mm-hmm. versus you know like an alt in Overwatch is. Pretty, pretty big. Exactly. That, yeah. That's a that's a great comparison. Like when when there's a huge play, like they make a huge push, or, or someone holds a five v one and a point in Overwatch, and you know for like thirty seconds enough for people to come back. Like right. that's a huge people moment. are in their seats standing up and screaming. That's, but that's right. Yeah. When I bolt you, bolt you. That's not very. Whoa! He did it. He did it. Like all right, yeah. going to game two. I guess. Yeah. That's it. it. It doesn't have the same kind of impact for sure. Do you have 
uh, most favorite or least favorite decks to discuss during coverage? That's a question from Cactrot. That's a that's a great question, actually. Yeah, there are some decks that I really, really don't like broadcasting, uh, and those are the ones. It's not maybe not specific decks, but but types of decks. De- decks that have a very, very repetitive game plan or very repetitive pattern, right? So I'm looking at Tron oh, like ad, ad nauseum. Scapeshift, I disagree. I mean, I'm not, you know, I know, I know you kind of, you kind of, you know, making fun of me a little bit here, but I disagree because Scapeshift <laughs> attacks from many different angles and can win with a primeval titan. There are very intricate lines that Scapeshift can uh, sometimes have to take. I mean, I don't understand them, obviously, but that uh, in order to uh, to get across the line, you know, there are there are um, especially post board cards like um, uh, Summoner's Pact and, and that sort of thing open a lot of doors. But no, I'm, I'm more talking about your, your turn three uh, turn three cards. I'm talking about, you know, mm. going off with ad nauseum and, and, and that sort of thing. I don't dislike them enormously. I'll still cover a game, but it's not... Uh, I don't feel it's always... These decks are showcasing the very best that mod, Modern has to offer, you know? Where do uh, prison decks fit into that? I don't mind prison decks, to be honest. I, I, it's, I don't know. That Maybe that's a little counterintuitive, but I guess one of the things with prison decks is they go on for a long time, which lets me talk for a long time, <laughs> which I like, hey, which I like doing. Um, but no, I, I think... With prison decks, I guess I guess it can, because usually people will play up until they're like one percent to, to win, right, or less. In which case, they pack it up, and up until then, you've always got the oh, but what if this happens? You know, you can build towards a sense of excitement. Whereas if someone plays turn three Khan, it's like, well, we've seen this, we've seen this a hundred thousand times. Sure. I don't know. Maybe I'm being unfair. I don't like Tron very much as a deck, and so maybe I'm maybe I, this is my inherent bias. But um, no, I don't. I don't. I don't dislike. Another deck would be like Infect, right? Infect is just always. Sure. It's always the same thing. Yeah, I mean, I think you have a point. It's a little more exciting to break out of a prison mm, lock too. Mm. Like if they have a chalice on two and a bridge, and like, oh, they need they have to draw shattering spree. That's a one card that gets them out of it. Oh, they rip yeah. it. How exciting! Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Versus they kill Karn. Oh, they played Nanugan now. Mm. Okay, well that's fine. I suppose. I suppose we haven't had to deal with Lantern uh, and KCI for <laughs> a long time. I guess it, you know if you'd asked me this question three months ago, it would have been very easy to answer that question a little a little more clearly. But um. Sure. Yeah, without KCI and with Lantern having taken the back seat, I mean, as a broadcaster, you'll you'll, I mean, you don't get to choose, right? Corbin Hostler gets to choose, right. so he's the one. He's the one to blame when you're getting boring, um, uh, boring feature matches. But no, no. But seriously, it's uh, there aren't too many decks where I sit down. And I'm like, ugh, you know, this is this is going to be terrible from a broadcast perspective. No. So to maybe build off that a little bit, you've probably seen more games than either me or Stan, or than a lot of people mm. have. So. Do some banalities or some smaller intricacies of the game become more interesting when they're viewed for the thousandth or you know three thousandth time or anything like that? Um, I think no, not not not. I mean, broadly, you don't get too many situations where you know it's an exact matches are exact carbon copies of each other. And even when you do, right, you know, right. when it's like Tron versus humans, and you know what the key cards are and that sort of stuff, they're still playing sixty card decks, and there are still chances for them to draw different cards at different points or showcase different interactions. The other thing is, if it just gets okay. boring, you start talking about something else. I mean, that's that's real. I mean, that sounds really sure. weird, but like that's that's just what you do. You can talk about the matchup in general. You can talk about one specific card. If 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 a player is in the process of going through the motions, you can often find other topics to to touch upon. Or I don't know. There are some very prescriptivist viewers, and and you know, you're never going to keep everyone happy. And and oftentimes when I go off on tangents, people are like, oh, talk about the game in front of us. And it's like, well, I understand that you know you're not getting what you want under this broadcast, but. As you say, we've seen this a thousand times, and if you're a deeply enfranchised and entrenched modern viewer, you'll know sure. what these matchups look like. So now I'm going to talk about you know what I had for dinner last night or whatever. Not going to suit everyone, but um, I don't I don't think there's a lot of value lost in 
uh, straying away from the game at hand, especially as you say, when a when a matchup is known or when when certain play patterns have been put on put on display a thousand times before. Sure. Do you find that because modern players tend to be so much more enfranchised, since mm. the cards are more expensive, they hold on to these decks longer? That coverage is different when you're doing modern versus standard oh, or sure. even a limited event? Oh, for sure. I mean, first of all, I hate covering limited. Limited, I like I like playing it, but it's 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 like cricket or baseball. It's not something that is interesting for viewers as it is for the players. You know, I I, I there are people out there who love watching limited and I just do not understand it. I, I just really don't get it because as a broadcast that's why, you know, the Mythic Championship, I'm feel so lucky that Marshall does all the all the limited rounds because I just can't squeeze any juice yeah. out of that orange. Um, it, it's funny how you compare uh, it to uh, baseball, mm. as I both have limited in baseball on the background when I do other things. Exactly. Sometimes. So it's something. Yeah. yeah. I, I like to hear the highlights, or if, is it something cool I can rush in real quick? But otherwise, yeah. yeah you know, the team's on in the background. That's it's fine. it, right? They're attacking like with two twos and three threes. It's not. It's yeah, yeah, exactly. I believe it's enormously skill testing. Way more skill testing than constructed. I think that, but oh, I don't yeah, think it's. Limited. I don't think it's fun to watch. So that's just my perspective. I know there are people out there who disagree. Um. But no, to get back to your question, um, I do think modern is a very different beast to standard. And one of the discussions we had going into the last Mythic Championship, which was, of course, modern down in uh, in London, um, we talked about how to enfranchise players that weren't going to know what the hell was going on. Like these these are players right. who are seeing cards, you know, a card pool of 10,000 cards, many of which they might have seen for the first time. And how are we going to draw them into that? And so what we talked about was talking about bringing it back to fundamentals, bringing it back to making good decisions, deploying removal, resource management, all of that sort of stuff, and less of a focus on the nitty-gritty ins and outs of decks, which you can do in standard because mm. it's a smaller card pool. There are a smaller range of decks that are played. Whereas at the at the GP level, at a Magic Fest, when it comes to modern coverage there, you know that, you know, the, the five or 10,000 or, you know, recently 15, 20,000 people were getting watching modern uh, events there. You know that they're deeply enfranchised. You know they know every deck in and out. And so you can afford to be a little, a little more hardcore with the... Uh, uh, with the way that you're calling a game. So it definitely depends on the audience you're playing to, but broadly speaking, modern and standard coverage is different and should be different. Andreas C. asked a question that is really near and dear to my heart, mm-hmm. even as a podcaster, mm-hmm. though I'm not doing my job live. But I'm curious, do you ever find yourself in positions where you just are at a loss for words and you're not sure how to react to what's happening in the middle of a game? Um, in short, no. And in long, no, never. Absolutely never. Because, as I say, like, there's one thing I'm good at, and it's talking. Just a, just a talk, blah, 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 blah. talking machine. That's all I'm good at. Um, I've never found myself in the booth being like, geez, what do I talk about? Like in other situations, sure. You know, you're out on a first date, you're like, ooh, <laughs> this is not going well. Yeah. <laughs> you, you can't turn to them and say, hey, what do you think of force and negation? Um, but in no I'm very lucky because of course I work with incredibly talented casters as well and so the the absolute worst case scenario that I'm in is I turn to the person sitting next to me and say what do you think of X and then it's their problem and not mine um, but no no if, <laughs> this book is yours now it is stopped with me exactly exactly no but, no, but in all seriousness in all seriousness no there's always something to talk about whether it's because there's so many different levels right you can talk about the card that's being the card that is on the stack right now you can talk about the battlefield that's in front of you you can talk about the matchup you can talk about the sideboards of either deck you can talk about the round that you're in whether it's early on people are looking to establish winning, winning records or the psychology of the later rounds as you get towards a top 8 you can talk about the tournament you can talk about the the weekend and, and the, the the week of magic that's in front of you or behind you, the way that the format has developed or will develop next week. You can talk about the 
uh, I don't know, overall season, the, arc, the overarching patterns that we've seen over the last couple of weeks or months. Or you can, you can then go back and say, oh, well, Simon, I remember five years ago when Blood Raid Elf, da-da-da-da-da. And there's just no level on which you can't find something to say when talking about magic. And if all that fails, you just talk about, I don't know, something cool you did last weekend. You just bring a personal anecdote in there, which, which I know a lot of people like. A lot of people don't like them as well, but I don't know, can't please everyone. Oh, absolutely. So if you're... You know, when you're looking at games and you're thinking about all the different zones and everything that's going on mm-hmm. and you're doing this professionally almost every week, do you find that this then improves your performance as a player as well? Unfortunately or not. do you think there's any relationship between commentary and player skill? Some people, for some people, sure. For me, no. No. I'm... I'm... One thing that I find is very interesting about um, about coverage is I will forget not only the decks, but the players and the moments that, that happen in a game or in a match by the end of the round. It just doesn't get encoded into my long-term memory. And I don't know if other people as viewers see this, but I, I guess, as I say, like my RAM in my, in my brain is being taken up by so many other different things at, at, at one given time that I don't, I don't often, unfortunately, really, I don't learn from what I'm seeing a lot of the time. You know, I'm not, I'm not picking up nuances about a specific matchup when I can't remember the names of the people that were playing. It's, it's really unfortunate. Do you think that part of that comes from the fact that you have to be on top of it and like you can't like think about lines they'd make or things you do because you have to constantly mm-hmm. be casting it in that yep. zone? Yep. And, and the other thing is not my job to. I don't have to think about the. I don't have to think sure. about the lines. I don't have to think about the the ifs and the buts and the maybes. I just say what's happening and then ask questions that are relevant to the person next to me. And so a lot of the time I'm more focused on like. Um, yeah, the here and now. It's very fleeting. It's very fleeting. And sometimes I'll have to stop and think, okay, yes, yeah, no, three turns ago they drew that card and this might... It's, is it, yes, it's still on the hand. Okay, they might... And, and those are the, that's the stuff that's going through my head. Not like, oh, that's an interesting... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take that line of play home and, and, and explore that next time I'm doing a Magic League, you know? Right, so you're less looking at their board and looking like trying how to find lethal and more just thinking of a good fun thing to say in that moment i mean yeah there's got to be a balance right because missing like when the caster myth myths is lethal that's pretty embarrassing and that's happened to me more than (laughs) once um but no in terms of translating my experience as a caster to a player um it's definitely it's definitely a one-way street if that makes sense i'll sit and play through a league and i'll go oh i've learned some stuff i'm going to apply this in the booth never the other way i'm never going oh i've learned stuff in the booth i'm going to go back and apply this as a player all right, so I want to talk for a bit about CFB's Modern Madness. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I, I know you talked about it over the weekend mm-hmm. from uh, the DC coverage booth. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and for people who don't know, basically, and, and Riley, please correct me if I'm mistaken in anything, mm-hmm. but Channel Fireball is setting up this tournament where they're pitting 64 of classic modern archetypes that are currently legal yes so yes. there's no splinter twins there's no death right shamans but 64 of the top modern archetypes against each other in a bracket um and then people can vote on who's going to win filling out their own bracket and if you get the top eight correctly cfb will send you to like a year's worth of over Magic Fest. yeah yeah if you if you can if you can pre- correctly predict the the top eight decks in modern that will be voted on by people you get free entry to every Grand Prix main event, every Magic Fest main event, the Grand Prix, uh, from uh, Vegas until the end of 2020. It's like nine, it's like, what is it? So 15 months worth of GPs, roughly. That's amazing. So who are you voting for? Vote for Scapeshift, obviously. Um, to take down the whole thing? No, I don't think Scapeshift's going to win the whole thing. No, I think, man, it's, it's actually very hard to say. 
there are yeah. so many decks in modern and there are so many i mean because the question can be approached in different ways right is it the best deck as in objectively what is the best deck in modern or is it your favorite deck and what you want to see win i think broadly speaking the eight decks it will have are going to be the most beloved decks because people are going to vote with with their hearts and not their brains as they should um but as to which one's going to win on that day i mean it depends on so much stuff right it depends i mean i think humans can probably beat anything uh if it's built in the right way and uh uh but then again you know if there's if there's a list in there that ultimately ends up having cruisy matchups then you know look this tournament isn't this thing isn't meant to be like ultimately definitive more than anything else it's supposed to be like a, a, a you know generate a bit of conversation discussion and and be good fun and that's why you know it's an invitational exhibition tournament where we're going to have five of the best players in the world and then three you know random scrubs who spike the qualifiers um uh, <laughs> three schmucks <laughs> and it's going to it's going to be a, it's going to be a hell of a lot of fun um, I think if we're going to lock in some some ones for the top eight, I, I think it's hard to go past humans. Humans is just a, a really really good deck, and it's a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, uh, Tron is obviously going to be in there. Tron is the uh, uh, I'm going to try to make an uh, an American sports reference here. The New England Patriots of modern. Is hey, it, there uh, you go. Is it good? Yeah, it's good. It, both popular and derided by the yes. masses. Loved or hated. Yes, in Australia That's it would right. be the Collingwood Magpies. Um, and so I think they're gonna. I think they're gonna. <laughs> is, that, is that real? The Collingwood Magpies. Oh yeah. Oh, would you like to know some names of Australian football teams? We have the yes, Essendon. I would. We have the Essendon Bombers, right? So, a, a, like an actual literal plane that flies through the sky and drops bombs. And one day they might play sure. against the Geelong Cats, the small fluffy animal that people enjoy keeping in their homes. <laughs> There's the Port Adelaide Power, uh, whose sure. whose logo is a fist holding a thunderbolt. Um, <laughs> what other good ones are there? I don't follow sporting stuff very, very closely. Um, there, oh, there are the Bulldogs, not just the Dogs, specifically the Bulldogs. Uh, the Tigers, the Lions, the Hawks, the Eagles. Uh, the do- Vampires. The do- <laughs> there are no Vampires, of course there should be. The Dockers, like people who work in a dockyard. Wow. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, we really, uh, we really, it's, it's a very, um, it's a very odd, you know. Then again, you guys have got sports teams that are numbers. Sure. Well, we have what is it? The Seventy Sixers, which That's... are named after like people from the and the Forty Niners, which or... is at the yeah the Gold the Rush. Gold Rush, gold yeah. Rush and yeah. the Seventy Sixers would be the signing of the Declaration of Independence, right? Wow. Because it's Phil- it's, well, it's Philadelphia. <laughs> the Philadelphia Seventy Sixers. I I just got schooled by an Australian. <laughs> well, no, I'm just guessing. I'm just guessing, dude. I've got no idea. I know that, that Phil- sounds. That sounds absolutely right to me. Yeah. Yeah. I know that Philadelphia has a strong connection to American history, and that the year seventeen seventy six is pretty important in that in that regard. So. It's a big deal here. Oh, it's a very big deal. I'm impressed. I, I wish I knew half as much about Australia as you know about the United States. I just want to interject. I'm voting for Scred in Modern Madness. That's all. I think. See, that's that. I, I love that we're going to have stuff like that happen. You know, I love that it. We might have people. You know, a, a crowd favorite getting up and about into the into the top yeah. eight. One that's not necessarily good, but yeah, Scred is like a super super sweet deck. It is my baby. Anyway. Yeah, so Zach is our resident Scred player. Mm-hmm. Nowadays, he plays red prison strategies. Mm-hmm. Historically, I'm the blue-red player, mm-hmm. either Blue Moon, you know, some Phoenix here and there, etc. Yeah. So we all have our deck identities. Yeah. Well, you'd be podcast. feeling you'd be feeling great about Blue Moon at the moment. It's it's uh, it's really firing on all cylinders now with Archmage's charm. I got my playset of charms. Mm-hmm. I got my sinkholes. Mm-hmm. I got my forces. Yep. But my first league, I went. One 
three. It, it was an it, it was an in store league, right? I went one three with a buy, so it didn't go very just well. Just variance, man. Just variance. People getting lucky. That's all it is. Just you know, just scrubs getting lucky against you. That's got to be it. That's it. That's or it's free, it's too reactive. I don't know. Maybe it's still not good enough to play control in this meta. Look, I'm I'm really unsure. This is this is something that I'm finding really interesting at the moment because you're so so heavily rewarded for playing proactive strategies when people don't bring enough disruption. And the thing is, right. if it's just this race to the bottom as to who can assemble the, the biggest glass cannon, then you know modern takes on a completely different bent. And then and then that's when interaction you know you, you turn the circle. Interaction becomes good again because you've got all these decks that can't protect what they're trying to do. And so. Yeah. It's a really, it's a really difficult balance to to try to thread together. I, I, I think, I mean, playing Blood Moon at the moment, main deck Blood Moon seems pretty good at the moment. I don't know. I had a, interesting. I I have a different view just because of all the basics people are running for the snow decks and stuff, mm-hmm. and people are more aggressively fetching out basics. And I I feel that I have not been rewarded with my Blood Moons the way I have in the past. I suppose yeah, we are seeing snow decks beginning to begin to emerge and and. That's actually something that's kind of irritating me now. One thing I really don't like about Modern Horizons is now you, you, you more or less, you just shouldn't play basics. You should always play snow basics. Um, right. Which I don't like because one of the uh, one of the great things about playing uh, two-color mana bases uh, or one-color mana bases even is just that the decks immediately become a lot cheaper. And where, and right. I mean, not that snow-covered lands are hugely expensive, but it, it, it doesn't, I don't, I don't like that you to be enormously hugely perfectly optimally correct in modern now you should always play snow basics but you know that's that's another point um i mean from free to a quarter a piece is a big deal for some people right it it, it adds up and and it's a very minor point but you know i guess i guess i'm i'm looking at a perspective where you know we're still seeing tron uh, do a lot of work in modern we're seeing Mana bases uh, for three color decks as greedy as they ever are, but you know, again, maybe you've got a good point with Prismatic Vista now and with uh, with Snow Basics having a real, uh, you know, people having getting good mileage out a of Renaissance. Them, a, a, a Renaissance, exactly. Maybe maybe Blood Moon isn't the position you you, you want to be in. I I kind of want to dig in a little bit more why you think it's probably strictly better to play Snow Basics right now. Is it just because the information you're presenting, you know, might change the way your opponent behaves if they see Snow Basics, whether or not you have a Snow Payoff? Well, okay, so as far as I know, and I could be wrong about this, as far as I know, there's no punishment for pay- playing Snow Basics, right? There's no, like, there's... there's a single card from Cold Snap that uh, Snow Permanents don't untap when there's owner upkeep, but it has a cumulative upkeep of two. So that is not a real punishment. Right, okay. But there is a single card. So unless you're playing around that specific card... There's no reason not to play Snow Basics, right? If you're playing a deck that even has, I mean, if it has blue green, you have to because of uh, because of the the new little snaky boy. Um, and in other situations, it's just there's because there's no reason not to. You you should, um, which I don't like, you know. But it is it is the correct way to play competitively. And if you are a serious modern player, even if you're playing a white black tokens deck, you should still be playing Snow Covered Basics and Snow uh, Snow Covered uh, Plains and Snow Covered Swamp. Um, and that's just the way it is. There's no it, it 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 if you don't if someone if someone sees you play a basic plains or a basic forest or a whatever they can immediately say my opponent is not playing snow cover and snow any snow thing. So they've immediately now carved out a portion of the modern card pool that they don't have to think about, right? So from a technically optimal pers- perspective, you should play snow covered basics all the time. It's interesting how that's changed. The logic used to be with Mono Red Prison, especially, mm. that you shouldn't run snow-covered mountains. 
because then your opponent would assume you're on Scred and therefore assume Blood Moons. Right. So you want to just have mountains, yep. so they wouldn't you know peg you as a Blood Moon deck right away. Mm-hmm. But I think what you're saying now is correct, where if everybody's doing it, you're not going to assume I'm a Blood Moon deck because you see a snow-covered mountain no. now. And, th- and it's going to make people start thinking, okay, so, I mean, here's something to think about. We know that the Modern Horizons uh, sort of draft archetype of blue-green blue is the snow archetype, right? I can't say off the top of my head what every single snow card in Modern Horizons is, right? And if you sit down there, sure. if you open on Snow-Covered Mountain, I might, I might go screwed. If you open on Snow-Covered Swamp, I'm going to go, oh, man, what are the Snow-Covered things? Okay, there's, there's Dead of Winter. Yep, all right, I have to worry about that now. Like, you know, it, it, puts, a, it puts a mental load on your opponent. So sure. even if you're playing a deck with zero snow permanents outside of your basics, you still should play them just because it's going to make your opponent tr- stop and think for a second. Snow covered. What what white snow pl- snow covered cards are there in, uh, in Modern Horizons? There's the uh, Chain to the Rocks variant where it's Chain to the Ice, and and that is now something your opponent has to remember as soon as they see right. a snow covered plains in your Eldrazi and Taxes list. So always have your opponent playing around cards you may or may not exactly. Have. If you if you play basics, they then know that they don't have to play around those cards. Right. So you're just giving up percentage points. So let's talk about Modern Horizons a little bit more. Mm-hmm. You mentioned that you're playing Scape Shift in your personal time. Are there any Horizons cards that you like for Scape Shift? There are a couple. Um, so, of course, the, the main deck of Scape Shift is it's, uh, it's not set in stone in the sense that it, it, it's slightly modular when it comes especially to the removal, uh, removal suite, whether you're playing Flame Slash, Lightning Bolt, Anger of the Gods. A Sweltering Sun is a card that I like a lot, but unfortunately can't really, you need to play Anger instead. Or, or I mean, Flame Slash is also a, in a pretty good spot with, um, with a lot of the creatures you've got to tussle with. Right. Um, but it's more cards in the sideboard. Uh, I don't think there are any cards that I'm from Modern Horizons that I'm putting in the main deck. Um, but it's more it's more cards in the sideboard. So specifically, Force of Vigor, of course, is. I mean, there there are decks against which you know a turn to uh, Force of Vigor is ridiculous. You know, if you can mm-hmm. if you can pick apart an Affinity Start or something like that, and you're and you're trading two for two. So it's not it's not yeah. a um, it's not a you're not down on cards. It's like collective brutality, you know. Against burn, you don't mind that you're discarding three cards to do three the, to for all three modes. Um, right. It's just denying them of resources that you've got. So I like Force of Vigor a lot out of the board from from Scape Shift. The other card I think that I, I've, I've I haven't actually put it in the list that I've been playing at the moment, but I want to now uh, is Ren and Six. Um, oh, I think it has just a lot of utility as a as a, a way to to break up small creatures as well as a, an engine to continue to. I guess, you know, bringing back uh, a land every turn in the late game or just diversifying your threats against a blue deck is is useful. I don't know if it's going to be a world changer or it's going to change the list completely, but it's definitely something I, I want to try because you can't ignore... Look at every Planeswalker that's made an impact in modern in the last, I don't know, how long, five, ten years. It's always the ones that don't cost that much mana. You know, Kaya or right. of Usurper or Lil- Liliana the Last Hope. If if a Planeswalker costs three or less, immediately alarm bells stop, start going off for me. And I think, okay, this is a card that we need to test out. It's like um, Jace Cunning Castaway, right? It's a three-mana Planeswalker. Is it going to be good enough for modern? That's a question you need to know the answer to. Turns out it wasn't. But now we've got the new uh, blue, uh, what's her name? Mu Yanling or something in, uh, yep. in, in M20. She costs three mana. We're going to have to f- find out if she's good enough in modern. And Ren and Six is another card right. that, as a two-mana Planeswalker, we just have to know the answer to that question. So I want to uh, build off the Force Cycle mm-hmm. a little bit right now. So I hear basically two opinions when it comes to this, either that they are going to make modern really fast or that they are going to slow down modern. 
So what is your take on these cards? And what do you think the role of free spells like this, like what role do they play in the format of modern? Uh, I really like that they've brought these in, but you can, it's very obvious that they've been extremely careful with them, right? Because we, we all know, well, <laughs> they used up all the careful points for the force cycle and they didn't use any of the careful points on Hogak as well, uh, as I'm sure we'll talk about, but um you can tell that these cards, none of them are particularly pushed. I think I think um, Force of Negation was masterfully designed because it's never going to be a Force of Will-like card that uh, can uh, defend your own stuff as effectively as it can disrupt an opponent's. And I, 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 re- I really like the design there. I don't expect to see much from the, the white one, the red one. The, the black one is a weird maybe two for one removal spell, but most of the time not even that. It's it's I don't know. It's, it's a super right. weird card. It'll be very useful if Splinter Twin ever... Uh, comes back, you know. Uh, bum, bum, bum. <laughs> no, I have no insider knowledge. I'd like to. I'm no, I have no <laughs> knowledge of that at all. But I mean, I don't know if you want to spend the rest of the podcast talking about unbanning Splinter Twin. But I don't think it's. I think I don't think it's zero percent. Um, the green one is decent. It's fair. I wish it cost three. I don't think it would be that unreasonable for it to cost three mana. Um, but uh, as a as a four mana double disenchant or double, you know, naturalizes. Is, is a reasonable deal it's you know at that point you, i guess you want to play shatterstorm instead but the free mode is what we're really interested in and um yeah just breaking up opposing artifact synergies and and you know is a much more is, is a good uh, you know potent use of a, of a free uh, ability because it's never going to break modern you know force of vigor is right. never is never going to lead to the format is that is that a little cat on your on your screen it's my it's my kitty i'm cat. getting distracted there's a little cat on the screen that's very cute <laughs> Oh, I'm sorry. That's completely <laughs> viewers are, are completely wasted on the viewers. But uh, oh, mate. Anyway, um, but force negation, I think, is going to slow things down more than it's going to speed things up. I, I I don't see how people can use that to, uh, I don't know, do what force of will does in protecting stuff like show and tell. It just doesn't. It doesn't seem. To, right. It doesn't. It's not doing the same kind of thing. It's 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 inherently an interactive, uh, disruptive spell. Not a not one that you can use to defend what you're doing as effectively, in my view. I don't know. I, I'm very ready to be wrong about that, but I think broadly speaking, it, it's going to slow modern down more than it's going to speed things up. No, I think you're right. I see it used against me in prison all the time to stop my turn one blood moons and my turn one chalices and stuff. Mm-hmm. So I think that it is definitely accomplishing the goal they wanted it to accomplish. And the other thing about, you know, when, when we're talking about trying to use it to defend your own stuff, if your opponent is smart, they'll play around it. You know, right. they'll, they'll, they won't give you, they won't main phase their, uh, their ancient grudge or whatever it they'll they'll cast it during your turn so you're sitting looking at an embarrassing cancel in your hand you know so i i don't i can see what i can see the arguments for why people are saying that it's going to make modern faster but i don't buy it i think it's uh inevitable that we have to address hogak oh yeah the I mean, arisen acropolis <laughs> in the room Yes, yes, it is. Yeah, the avatar in the room, very, very much the case. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't well, know. What's what, your initial reaction? Why? Why? Why, Paul? <laughs> why did you do this to us? Why did you give us this card? Have you learned nothing? I mean, they say, you know, those who fail to learn from history are doomed to repeat its mistakes. Don't cost, don't print cards that can be cast for zero mana. Don't do it. Or cast from the graveyard. Especially not cards that come from the graveyard. Paul, what were you thinking? <laughs> No, this card sucks, man. Ban it. Get rid of it. I hate it. Yeah. Like, oh, wow. Like, okay. So let let me preface my arguments for why Hogak should be banned with with a statement that I'm generally in favor of a dynamic ban list. I think things should be banned and unbanned a lot more than they are, right? I'd rather have Stoneforge off, find out that it's bad, put it back in, although I don't think it would be. I'd rather have Splinter Twin back off. Like, 
I'd rather be banning stuff faster and unbanning stuff faster. Having said that, that comes from a position of extreme privilege because my primary goal is with magic as a as a as a, um, a source of entertainment and not as right. you know. I don't. I'm not looking at it from a budget perspective. And I understand that when people have their thousand dollar deck nerfed, like that's a huge kick in the pants, right? So yeah. I will say that you know my my perspective is a very easy one to have when you don't have to worry about the finance the financial side of it. Having said that. Hogak sucks, ban it. I can't believe this card exists. I can't believe that it... I mean, the thing the thing that really says more than anything else about the card, we're like two weeks into Modern Horizons or one and a half weeks into Modern Horizons being legal online. It's already dominating the format and we haven't even seen the best version of the deck yet. This right. is what I really don't like is the fact that already before the deck has become streamlined and focused, we're seeing these slapdash decks that have got clear room for improvement effortlessly 5 right? That says to me that this, this strategy is way overpowered. It's way too good for the format. And as a result, will almost certainly have to be addressed by, by, by a ban or some, some kind of action here. If a, if a rest in peace is not good enough to take apart mm. this deck, I mean, right. it's... And maybe the problem isn't Hogak. Maybe the problem is Ultra of Dementia. But but I was just going to say that. But yeah. why print Hogak in that in that case? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, do, banning Ultra of Dementia would, I think, do more damage to the, to the potential decks that we could have in modern. Right? Do you think Bridge from Below is fine? I mean, I think so. Right? It wasn't. It, I think Bridge Fine was a very cool deck, uh, and I don't think it was oppressive. I don't. Okay, I'll try to clarify my remarks here. I don't have a problem with the Hogak deck conceptually, right? I don't think that in and of itself it's a deck that is bad for modern because of its play style or because of its, uh, you know, gameplay, its patterns, whatever. I think it's just it's just it's on a different power level. That's all it is. You know, if Hogak was a four four or cost ten or, you know, there are so many knobs that could be adjusted or dials that can be switched here to, to try to get us into a better spot. Um, so when I look at Hogak, I go, it's just, it's just, it's just too good. That's the only problem. You know, I feel like anytime a new strategy emerges with a new set, mm. whether it was Karn before this, Phoenix before Karn, mm-hmm. people start to get swept up in the ban fervor. Mm-hmm. How often does that affect you? You know, w- w- did you feel at any point that Karn or Phoenix or decks prior to that were oppressive in the same way? So which Karn are you, are you talking about? Um, Sign of Urza, Great Creator. Oh, the Great Creator. Um. I know, never, never to this point. I don't think, like, I think um, Andrea Mangucci recently contended that Khan should be restricted in vintage. And, you know, for the four or five people worldwide who that's relevant to, I'll take his word for it. Um, sorry, vintage players. I, I mean, from the bottom of my heart, I'm sorry. You deserve better. Um, but no, I think Phoenix, I mean, Phoenix was dominant, but you could fight it off. I don't know. I didn't feel the same way about it that I do about Hogak. Hogak really worries me, man, because... Again, it's just it, it's two things. It's the recency with which it, it has taken over the format, and the fact that these decks we don't have the best version of the deck yet, demonstrated by the enormous internal diversity of the lists. That's what worries me the most. Once we find the best version of the deck, right? The 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 deck I'll use as an example is Hollow One. Hollow One was around for ages. It took about twelve months, maybe nine months, for us to find the Hollow One version that you know that set uh pro to a rivals of ixalina light it took us ages to find that right and when when we finally did it it came and it went and that that was hollow one's time in the in the sun what what i'm 
what worries me here, what annoys me here, is that Hogak is already potentially the best deck in modern two weeks after it's been printed. Right. That's what worries me. I think an important thing to point out as well is that for Phoenix decks, mm. I don't think a lot of people are calling for bans on Phoenix. I think it was more Faithless Looting mm. other enablers, mm. where Hogak, people want Hogak gone, right? Yeah. So it's a different thing when, hey, I think this strategy is too many enablers versus the payoff for the strategy, mm-hmm. or even an enabler, I guess, with Alter as well. It, it just seems a little different, right? It's, I want part of this gone as opposed to I want this entire thing removed. But the thing is, if you get rid of Hogak, you go back to Vengevine, right? The Bridgevine deck, which sure. I think is okay. And maybe Ultra of Dementia is okay with, with Vengevine. Maybe that's something that, that is actually... I mean, recurring the Vengevine is, is going to be very difficult, I guess, without without a reliant source of card, reliable source of card draw. You then need to be casting cards out of your bin or... I don't know. I'm not smart enough to figure out, figure these problems out. But what I can see is that I'm going to have a difficult time in, at Mythic Championship Barcelona if 40% of the field is playing Hogak. What do you think are the consequences then to modern or the game in general when you have a deck like Hogak where mm. you know half the player base thinks it's just way too powerful and out of line and the other half is just playing it and cleaning up leagues? I think mm. this is going to... I mean, the very we've seen what happens in the very worst uh, case scenario there during Eldrazi winter, right? People saying, oh, it's the death of the game, it's the death of the format. It's not. Don't be stupid. It's not. It's not. There is, there are, there is such a tiny percentage chance that Hogak becomes a problem that destroys modern because ultimately there'll, there'll be a response from, you know, banner restricted or there'll be some new answer printed or something. I think all it does is it, is it just quenches enthusiasm and it, 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 it quenches people's passion for the for the game because they know that if they're playing a league, like two of the five or three of the five matches are going to be against Hogak and you're probably going to lose against it, or you then just have to play that deck. Um, so it's it, Magic at the end of the day is a game and it's about having fun. And I think that cards like Hogak are just an impediment to that end. And that's that's why I think it should that's why I think it should go. That's why I think Stoneford Mystic should be unbanned. That's why Splinter Twin should be unbanned. That's why I mean if you're really gonna go crazy, Umazawa's Jute should be unbanned. So we can try it out and have fun. Look what happened to Sop Sop the Sword, look what happened to Wild Nakata, look at what happened to Bitter Blossom. You know, it just gives players more options. And when you've got a, a card like Hogak and the deck that it that surrounds it it's actually giving players fewer options because all the hard-nosed spikes are just going to play the best deck and they're not going to look back. Right. Right, and everyone else will just <clears throat> be obligated to get four ley lines. No, I, I totally agree with that. I haven't really played too many leagues on MTGO since this mm-hmm. happened just because I don't want to play against this deck. And it's not that I don't think I can't put ley lines in and jam them and maybe have an okay time. I just don't want to play against this okay. deck. Yeah, that's it. I mean, I, like one of the... I understand the other side of this argument that I'm about to lay out. I love the fact that Modern has 20 tier 1 decks or tier 1.5 decks. I think it's fantastic. But competitive right. players don't like it. They don't want to have mm-hmm. to stretch 15 sideboard cards across 20 archetypes. And I get that. Um, I've had discussions with people who have contended very strongly that Modern is not a good competitive format, like it shouldn't be played at the MCs and that sort of stuff. And I, and, and I can see where they're coming from. But from an entertainment perspective, one of the great things about Modern is you sit down, you play a league, you're playing five different decks. It's great. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And if you know that you're going to be against Hogak for 40% of them, I mean, you get bored of that very, very quickly. So let's say Hogak doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. What are some other decks in Modern that you think Modern Horizons might open up or improve? This is, this is, this is a, a great question because this, this is the real joy of the Modern format, isn't it? It's, and now that we've had this sort of direct release of just Modern cards, I, I think it's a very, very smart move by Wizards as well, by the way. It's something that a lot of people have advocated for a long time, just skipping standard, and they finally pulled the trigger on it, and I, I hope they're going to be rewarded for it. By the way, um, this 
is a little bit of a behind-the-scenes kind of look at how these things work. There's one thing and one thing only that Wizards cares about when it comes to repeating stuff like this, and that is how many booster packs sell. That's not a, that's not a right. big secret, right? If you like Modern Horizons, buy Modern Horizons packs, and there will be Modern Horizons 2. If you don't like it, don't buy packs, and there won't be. It, it, it is literally as simple as that. And so people say vote with your wallet. I think Modern Horizons is great. Uh, I think that it's a fantastic draft format. I think that it's good. It's it's good for the format in general. And so as a result, it's like anything. If you want to support something and want to see more of it, throw money at it. That's generally the best way to solve that problem. Um, but on a more sort of uh, practical perspective when it comes to its effects on modern and the decks that we're seeing emerge from it, I mean, we're seeing upgrades here and there. We're seeing different decks pick up little bits of technology here, there, and everywhere. But in terms of new archetypes, one, one deck that I love, absolutely love so far is Esper Shadow. Man, this deck is cool. Oh, it's so cool what you can do with this deck. It, I, I've never been a huge fan of, of, of Shadow Lists. I think I just getting Team of Battle Rage left, leaves a bad taste in your mouth most of the time. Sure. But I love Esper, mid-range, or Esper, Esper Shadow because it tries to be mid-range, aggro, and control all in one. And I just think right. it does such a, it's, it's such, a, such a sweet and weird deck, especially with the new cards from Modern Horizons. Partic- I'm talking about Unearth, particularly, is, uh, is obviously really good. Ranger Captain of Eos, as well, is, a, is a, another great addition. And um, uh, it's not really... I oh, know it's not playing Archmage's Charm. That, that's more in the Blue-Red Delver decks, which we can talk about as well. But um, Esper Shadow is just, it's just a super sweet deck. I've been playing with it a little bit in oh, yeah? paper, and I find myself missing Teamer Battle Rage because I don't have those wins out of nowhere, essentially. Mm-hmm. It's it's quite a bit slower. But Ranger Captain, to get a Death Shadow, sack the Ranger Captain for value, mm. and then unearth it back mm. for another shadow. Oh, it mm. just feels mm. so incredible. Mm. So uh, this big, big old chef's kiss from me. I absolutely love that sort of thing. And unearth with Snapcaster Mage as well. You draw an Unearth mm-hmm. on like turn 10. You bring back a Snapcaster, flashback Unearth, get your Ranger Captain, get a, a Death Shadow. You just put 15 power into play. You pass the turn. Like, that's just, oh, man. The fact that we can do stuff like that is so sweet. Yeah. You have a bit interesting point I want to maybe pull out or talk about mm-hmm. a little bit. So you talked about how the deck, you know, can do aggro, mid-range control. Mm-hmm. That reminds me of how people talk about Phoenix, where it has multiple game plans yeah. that can shift into different modes. Mm-hmm. Do you think that's where Modern's moving to a degree, where to be a Tier 1 deck, you have to have, you know, the different ranges or different deck modes you can go into? I mean, I don't know if it is. I know that I certainly would love it to, right? I would absolutely love to see more decks like Jund, uh, you know, decks that can beat anything and everything in the format on on the right day. Um I'm not the biggest fan of, of these linear proactive strategies. I I don't necessarily clamor for bans or anything else like that. It's just a personal a personal preference. I don't I don't care that sure. they exist. Um, and so whether the, the format's heading that direction, I don't know if I agree with that. Uh, I don't think it is I, at the moment. I get a bit of a feeling that it's kind of a race to the bottom as to who can be the most degenerate. Um, but if that is the case, as I said, it's a circle, right? It comes back around. Uh, it's like in a format filled with reanimator. Eventually, graveyard hate becomes good again. You play graveyard hate, reanimator becomes bad. People stop playing graveyard hate, reanimator becomes good again. Like that. Whether we have the tools to fight off the degenerate decks right now, that's a good question. Um, but I would like to see modern in a place where flexible decks are rewarded, where Phoenix, Jund, Esper, Death Shadow, decks that can play uh, offense, defense, somewhere in the middle. I think that's just a good thing for a format to have i and again it's an opinion rather than a fact but i'd love to see modern move back towards in back into that realm you're talking about yeah one other question i i do have for you about being a modern player 
you know, whether you're going to a store or a bigger event or even doing a league, do you set goals for yourself as a player? Now, this is this is an interesting question because my goals as, as, as a Magic player are probably going to be very different to other people's. Um, there, there are a few things that have happened to me to make me lose the competitive fire, right? I don't, I don't play Magic to win anymore. And there are good things and bad things to that. But primarily, when I'm playing Magic, it is to learn or to understand a game, knowledge and comprehension. So if I'm playing in a modern league or I'm grinding an arena, whatever I'm doing is I'm looking to find basically material to talk about at a later date, whether it's in articles, whether it's on coverage, whatever it is. I'm just looking for information. And so when I, if I win or lose, that's, that's kind of irrelevant. Now, there, there's the good side of that is you, you very really tilt off. You, know, you don't often get mm-hmm. salty because you're losing and because your opponent always has it. They're so lucky and I can't believe I play this stupid game and what am I even doing with my life? Like That happens very rarely. But the sure. bad side of it is the, the winning isn't as rewarding because it doesn't mm-hmm. matter as much. You know, for, for something to matter, you've got to care about it. And um, if I'm playing a league and uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I don't know, two and three or whatever, that makes me just about as happy as going four one, which doesn't happen very often, to be honest. But um, I guess what what differs from me differs with me when it comes to playing most of the time is that I'm I'm not doing it to yeah to win or or, or prove that I'm a better player than my opponent, which I think drives a lot. You know, is the fire behind a lot of a lot of competitive players. Sure. Um, I've come to terms with the fact that I'm not very good at the game. Uh, and that is a bit of a cop-out, I know, I recognize as well. But the other thing is, I don't have any incentive to be. If we want to be really hard-nosed about it, there's no point in me getting better at Magic. It doesn't make me a better broadcaster. My job isn't to answer high-level questions about Magic strategy. It's to point out really dumb, obvious stuff that's happening on the battlefield and ask dumb, obvious questions as an audi- audience surrogate, right? And I could be smart occasionally and say, like, oh, this card interacts with that, or oh, I was playing and this happened. Like, that's fine. But that's, ultimately, I don't need to be better at Magic to be better at my job. Um... I need to be aware of magic and I need to be informed about what's going on in magic and all that sort of stuff. But becoming a better player, there's very little incentive for me to do that. So do you view leagues more like a safari then? Like you're going out there and trying mm. to see the new cards and see the interactions as opposed to get better as a player? That's a great way to look at it. Yeah, I'm often safari and I'm hoping I'm going to see like a rare, like shiny Pikachu or something off on the distance. So, <laughs> <Nice>. you know, <laughs> I, I, I'm not looking to go, I'm not looking to necessarily go and, uh, you know, and, and catch them all, but I'd like to see them all at least. Um, gotcha. Pokemon uh, Snap. Yeah, well, I like that when you said Safari, I went straight to the Safari Zone in Future City. Oh, no, yeah, absolutely. And then I said Shiny Pikachu, which doesn't make any sense at all because Pikachu doesn't appear. I should have said like Chansey or something or Kangaskhan. Um, so, no, I, 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 you, your point holds true. I don't necessarily go out there trying to prove myself. I'm going out there trying to learn, trying to make sure that I'm in a position to offer a future audience, whether it's a written audience, whether it's a, you know, a, a viewing audience, the best experience they can have as fellow uh, spectators you know and that that's much more important to me uh, from a, i don't i don't play a lot of paper magic um for i guess for that reason because most paper magic is competitive i play a lot of commander with my mates um but broadly speaking i'll just play online uh and that's again so i can learn stuff you know and and figure stuff out through through playing and and, and i talk about it a lot with the with you know the friends that i've got uh around the world that i've met playing magic and and that that would be my primary uh, directive, not directive, primary objective, I would say. In, uh, <laughs> I got a little Star Trek there, huh? Um, <laughs> primary directive, primary objective in in playing Magic. It's it's to to learn and and to file stuff away that I can I can say later on coverage. Sure. So let's move into some more listener questions. We got we have a few, and the first one comes from Scott W. And I think you may have an interesting position on it. 
as a scapeshift player and mm-hmm. in my mind scapeshift is kind of like a combo deck mm-hmm. so scott w asks when building a combo deck how do you find the right balance between consistency and resiliency um, and then he, he goes on to ask is it better to build a deck that is nearly guaranteed to kill on turn three facing no interaction or a deck that kills on turn five through some hate this is a really interesting question, and the annoying answer to it, the the answer to it is very annoying because it is the same answer that most uh, magic related questions have, and it is it depends. Um, at the moment, I would be putting my pedal to the metal, and I would be playing all out, quick as you can, get your dead combo, just because of what the field is looking like at the moment, and that and that right. that's the biggest the biggest concern I think is that you're not having to face as much interaction as you normally would. And a lot of the interaction you're going to have to face, maybe even touch too slow, depending on your deck, especially if it's a graveyard deck. Um, you know, if you're playing, if you're playing a devoted Druid, you aren't having to worry about cheap sweepers anymore because no one's playing. I mean, some decks obviously play main deck angers or whatever, but you know, if you can beat a Supreme verdict, which I think devoted Druid can do a lot of the time, um, you're probably, you're probably in the clear. Uh, but then, you know, in a format where Jund all of a sudden becomes really, really good and you know that you're going to be thought seized on turn one or Inquisition on turn one a, a broad percentage of the time, that's when you need to slow down. And that's where you need to build in ways to fight through interaction or to protect your combo. Uh, so I'm sorry, Scott, that I can't give an answer that is definitive in this situation, but you'll find that many, many questions in Magic can't be answered definitively. But certainly right now, and especially while while people are testing right people are testing new things out with modern horizons now's the time to punish them. now's the time to be the fun police and try to get on the front foot and and smash the right. tickets uh yeah no skimp on that interaction skimp on that disruption and just get them dead as fast as possible and i think you're going to win more games of magic doing that but then be ready to pivot and reposition yourself with slower cards or more powerful value engines especially post board once games get slower um uh and don't go all in on the combo once we start to turn the corner back towards you know, decks like Jund, decks like White Blue Control having more of an input and more of a say. Our uh, co Shane makes a good point often that you have to know your role in the matchup. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really what you're saying right mm-hmm. there, where sometimes you're like, oh, my opponent's on five color snow. I need to go, about, go off on turn two and beat them immediately. Yep. Oh, but if I see that they have these board wipes that they're playing on turn three and four, mm-hmm. I need to be a little more conservative and wait those out and go off that. Exactly. And you know, at the moment, I think broadly speaking, what what are you expecting to come across when you're playing in modern at the moment? You're going to play against humans a lot. Um, you're going mm-hmm. to play against uh, the Phoenix deck that is still getting it done. You're going to play against Hogak, obviously. You're playing against... Some flavor of Tron. Some flavor of, of, of Tron. You're playing against Amulet Titan. Um, you know, there aren't a lot of decks, Dredge. There's not a lot of decks that are going to give you a lot of breathing room. And they're not there. As a result, if you can outmatch them, if you can be as fast or faster than them, I think you're going to do better than weighing yourself down with dead interaction. Having said that, white-blue control is still in a good spot. Um, Jund is... Maybe I'm just overrating Jund completely. I don't know. I'm interested to hear what you guys think as well, but I, I think Jund should be doing better than it is. I don't understand why, you know, six main deck discard spells aren't beating a lot of the... I mean, obviously, Hogak, whatever. But uh, <laughs> I feel like Jund should be doing better than it is. Maybe we just need to work on the lists and, and, and figure out a, a better way to attack the format. But I'm saying that once we come around to that position, once people figure out how to fight off the, the decks that are running roughshod over modern at the moment, you need to be ready to adjust with that change. Zach, what do you think about Jund right now? You have some mid-range experience. Yeah, so um, 
a, a running joke on the podcast is the phrase that mid range is dead. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Uh, I feel like every time I play Jund at my local game store, it's two of the same people, and they're pretty good with the archetype, mm-hmm. so they're doing well with it. But I don't know if that means that Jund is well-placed. It, it's still a slow, right? And turn one hand disruption is still good, but I don't know. I, I think that it's better than a lot of people give it credit for, and I certainly don't think mid-range is dead. But maybe what Jund needed was the cards from Modern Horizons to truly push it over. I've seen people having a lot of success with the Season Pyromancer, for example. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think that the, I think you make a good point uh, in that Jund has to change something uh, in order right. to get. I, I I think it it is underperforming based on the historical potency of the archetype. Um, I don't think there are compelling reasons to believe that it is dead or that mid range is dead. Um, you know, there are, there are cards that can can fight off what is is going on in at the top tables of modern at the moment it's a matter of finding the right balance of the right cards you know a couple of years ago in modern everyone was playing lingering souls because it matched up so well against what every other uh deck was doing right and then in response to that because abzan was was the de facto best deck because of lingering souls all the other abzan decks started playing siege rhino to beat uh lingering souls right and and you see this cyclical approach to it there like that so Jund isn't a very exciting deck. It's not a very splashy deck. It's not a deck that people get, uh, you know, sort of up in arms about, or, or, or unless you read Duke. And as a result of that, people are less incentivized to to innovate, right, and to find new ways right. to do it. But at the end of the day, all that matters is your win percentage in 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 a lot of situations. And maybe we're not talking about Magic Online leagues here, but maybe we're talking about the Mythic Championship. And so mm-hmm. from where I'm from where I'm sitting now, I can't see Barcelona doing anything other than being overrun by Hogak. I hope I'm wrong there. But when you, when you put significant financial uh, incentive on the line for people to, to find what is the best deck, you may get to a point where people are going, well, Jun's got the pedigree. Why can't we bring back a mid-range deck like Jun with the tools that we need to fight this fight fight off this format? I don't think I don't think mid range is dead. I don't think mid range is dead, and I think the people saying that are trying to sound clever. <laughs> Shots fired at Shane. <laughs> On the possibility of a preemptive ban, do you think that due to the optics and everything surrounding Hogak, they would potentially ban it before Barcelona? I think the, I think the chance of Hogak being banned before Barcelona are slim to none. Okay. Um, and I think that is ultimately. I mean, this is like when you know. You ask your dad for something, and he's like, no, mate, sorry. And you go, why? He goes, because I said so. And you can't really <laughs> argue against it, and you know that he's right deep down, but you're like, oh, that's so annoying because I just want this thing, whatever, you know. And I think that ultimately banning banning Hogak before the, the Mythic Championship would, would just cause way more harm than it, than it would good. I mean, you know, the, the peanut gallery would complain to no end about it having... I mean, I've, I've sat here and I've complained about the, the fact that the card existed, but it exists, but... It's, <laughs> it's mere name. It's... Oh, man, maybe I'm not doing a very good a good job of, 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 of explaining this point, but it would be so bad to ban Hogak before the, the Mythic Championship. It would it would show a, a lack of faith in what R&D has put out there, a lack of faith in the in the player base to find answers to it. You know, and you've got people like me raging and spitting and ranting against the fact that this card exists. But at the end of the day, it's another puzzle. It's another puzzle for us to solve. I'm not smart enough to solve the puzzle, so maybe I'm getting salty about the fact that I have to. But, you know, <laughs> I think it would be a very bad move overall to ban the card. And I don't have any insider knowledge about cards uh, being banned oh, or sure. banned at any point. So this is not me uh, coming out as a representative of Wizards and saying X, Y, or Z. Um, but I think it would be very bad, and I would be very surprised if Hogak got banned. After that, we can talk about it, you know, uh, 
I, I think a ban three to six months down the track would be reasonable. Mm-hmm. Um, but let's give people a chance to adapt. Maybe maybe we're missing something. Maybe there's something that we we can do to to fight this card or this and this deck off, and we just haven't got there yet. Maybe main deck rest in peace is the answer. I don't like that as as a solution, but maybe that's that. But that's maybe that's the world we live in. Sure. Do you think part of it also is that? If the de- the deck needs to put up these monstrous, ridiculous results for it, so it can be look, it is that good. You know, it got four of the top eight places mm-hmm. at this big tournament. Mm-hmm. This is why we're banning it, as opposed to all this data that we can't share for Magic Online. Um, I think the you know the optics of it are very important for people to look at why the decision is being made and understand it. And, and one thing I will say about the banning process that has changed in recent years is their explanation. Every time you know right. that Ian Duke is going to tell you why things were banned and and what went what went into the decision. And even if they can't share Magic Online data or they choose not to share Magic Online data, which is an important distinction. Mm-hmm. Um, Absolutely. It, 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 it's still, I think the, 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 the ban announcements have, have gained a lot of trust from the public the magic playing public today and with good reason because there's a level of transparency there that is uh very welcome and so when it comes to hogak being banned if it happens it will know why and if it's because there were five out of the eight uh, top eight slots at the mythic championship if it's because you know every league has a squillion five and oh uh hogak lists what what have you i I think it'll be pretty self-evident Wizards haven't banned cards for no reason within memory. I can't think of a card that they've banned and I've been like, well, that doesn't make any sense. Um, right. I'd like to see more of an explanation as to card, why cards aren't banned. Uh, sorry, aren't unbanned. Like, I want to see why... I, I don't see why there are so many cards on the ban list right now. But that's a different matter entirely. And and broad, broadly speaking, if Hogak is to be banned, I think we'll understand why. I think it'll be very clear. So this kind of tees up one of the other questions we received from listener Joe C., Mm-hmm. Who who writes? Lately, it seemed like modern is an increasingly graveyard-based format, due to cards like Creeping Chill, Arclay Phoenix, and Hogak becoming really pivotal to Tier One archetypes. But it also doesn't necessarily seem like Wizards provides answers at the same rate that they provide these new puzzle pieces. So, do you think, either as a broadcaster or a player, that there should be a change in this trend of push synergy without an equal counterbalance coming from R and D? I think that's a great point by Joe, and I think he's really hit the nail on the head that we're having these exciting new uh, toys to play with, but then we don't have the fun police. You know, they're 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 having their budget slashed by the city. You know, the mayor the mayor of Fun Town is going, look, sorry, sorry, Captain, we just it's just not in the budget this year. You know, we can't give you those new uniforms, and that's a problem. It's a real problem because. Um, it's not impossible to find ways to fight through the the stuff that's been given to us. I'll give you an example. In Standard, we've now got Rule of Law coming into Standard. A fantastic move. Just a, just an absolute A-plus decision by Wizards of the Coast because Experimental Frenzy, Arclight Phoenix are not oppressive, but they're dominant. And Rule of Law is right. just another tool in the arsenal for people to contest these dominant strategies. If we're at a point in modern where rest in peace the best graveyard hate card in my view that has ever been printed if we're at a point where that card isn't good enough to fight off graveyard strategies that's a problem that's a big problem and so i don't know what the answer is i don't know if it's a one mana rest in peace i don't know if it's ways to punish opponents that are 
um, uh, that that not only rewards you for like I'm, I'm not a card designer, so I can't think of a, a good example. But for example, um, a two two rest in peace, like a rest in peace staple to a three mana two two. Sure. A card right. that that allows you to be a little bit more proactive or play play two game plans at the same time instead of just one. Again, that's not the best example because you know it dies to lightning bolt or whatever. But at least it one shots the graveyard. I'm just spitballing. The point is, there isn't the technology to fight off these new toys, right? And that can be problematic. It's a really delicate balance, though, right? Because if they go too far in the opposite direction, then what happens? These new toys don't even get a chance to be taken out of the out of the, the toy box. Right. So it's a really difficult thing. I don't envy Paul Cheon because you know he's the one who's having to do all this by himself as well. I love I love this joke <laughs> by the way that Paul is is it's his fault when any, any when anything goes wrong. No, of course all of R and D and all of the play design team. Cheon, it is oh, Cheon. He's done it again. Um, no, Cheon and all of his colleagues and and everyone else at the play design team as well as in R and D have got a really tough battle on their hands when it comes to balancing these things. But I think Joe has a good point. Um, the the balance aspect of it hasn't been excelling itself recently. And I would like to see ways to fight off oppressive decks in modern in a way that, I don't know how to how to say this, that doesn't mean that you're, you're locked into playing reactive magic. Because the cleavage between reactive and, and proactive magic now, now is so clear. You know, we, we talked about this before. You're either playing a proactive glass cannon deck or you're playing a reactive deck that's trying to mess with the opponent's stuff. Why can't we have both? You know, mm-hmm. why can't we, in the words of the of the famous Mexican philosopher, Poca Nilo Dos, dos whatever it is, um, why can't we have... No. He's just got it. Why can't we have proactive answers? Poca Nilo Dos. Exactly. As you can tell, my Spanish is just is, is muy bien. Um, why can't we have proactive answers that also advance your own game plan? Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. I'd like to see more of that. Well, can I interest you in Thing in the Ice? <laughs> that's a that's a great that's that's a, a really a really good example of a card that fights off certain decks with its upheaval effect mm-hmm. while also providing a clock. I mean it's a it's not the it's not the most deft way to do this, you know, smashing it with a seven six, but you know, finding ways to be proactive while also messing with what your opponent is doing. I mean, Nihil's spell bomb is is in the same kind of zone, like replace blowing up your opponent's graveyard while also drawing you a card. Like it's not, it's not putting you further behind. There's a very low cost of putting cards like that in your deck, but I want to see cards that have a bit more of an impact, yeah. you know, a Nihil spell bomb that, I don't know, generates a token or that uh, I, I'm having trouble. I'm having trouble thinking of things that, you know, just off the top of my head, but I think my point, my point is clear, like reactive cards that offer at least a little bit of, 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 of a proactive, uh, a proactive bent, you know, yeah, I hear what you're saying, and I totally agree with you, but I'm going to ask a question from somebody. Like, something I think I would hear a response to mm-hmm. that. Isn't that just power creep? Isn't power creep bad? Yes, I suppose it is. And we're well outside my area of expertise now because... Oh, sure. You know, I, I'm not a game designer, and I'm not very good at, at answering questions like that. It's funny, actually, because Andrew Brown did coverage at, a, at an event last year at a, at a Grand Prix. I think it was in... Pittsburgh, I think it was in Pittsburgh. He's a great dude, by the way. He's he's just absolute ten out of ten, uh, ten out of ten dude. I'm a big fan of Andrew Brown. He's one of the R and D. I think he's a senior designer now. He just got promoted. For those of you who don't know him, mm-hmm. and he um, he's one of the people in play design. And he showed me some of the sort of uh, puzzles and problems that they have to solve as part of uh, as part of play design. So he was saying like, all right, um, you know, you 
this is this is a given format. You have to reprint ten cards, right? What are the ten cards that you bring back to this format in order to to solve the problems, right? And he had a mm. list in his head of the cards he wanted to hear people say. And I'm there just like, I got no idea. What are you? Ooh, like, what is? What are you? I, I, how am I expected? I don't know. This is my job. I just play the game. I talk about. it. I don't have to design yep. it. So I'm I'm in completely the wrong position to try to solve these problems. But yeah, I guess you're right. It would be power creep to have stuff happen in that way but i mean power creep is also cast also printing an 8-8 that you can cast for free right so i think we're going to see power creep regardless and ways to keep other forms of power creep in check would be would be very nice sure so yeah, i think that yeah the discussion becomes if power creep's inevitable that has to be at a certain level where it's acceptable then right because it shouldn't be that every set replaces 10 cards in every deck there should be you know small things that trickle in over time yeah exactly and and if you print a um eight eight that you can cast from the graveyard <laughs> yeah then, then you need to have a way to deal with an eight a recursive eight eight that you can cast. no what i was going to say is like if you print threat x you need to also have answer x and answer x doesn't right. have to completely steamroll it and take it out of contention right but you know i mean look at a card like amulet of safekeeping right this is a card that was obviously put in there to keep token tra- token uh, strategies in check and we never saw it get used and so that's an answer that was printed for a problem that didn't exist and so mm-hmm. if if answers like that are going to be printed in standard sets or in modern sets they need to address real problems and i'll come back to the rule of law example i think it's a great card because if you're going to take off your turn three in mono against mono red in standard to cast a do nothing enchantment you you better believe that it's going to have an impact right so rule yeah, of law right. is a great way to test that theory and so i'd like to see more cards that are going to keep a format in check while providing a balance between be between proactive and reactive gameplay all right so i think the most important question has been saved for last oh yeah and this this one comes from martin d and if you need to take a minute to think about it before you answer be my guest i will remind you that of course i've signed several ndas there's a lot of stuff i can't talk about all that sort of stuff so i'll, I'll do my best to answer the question though riley knight how much vegemite do you have on your toast oh dude a lot a lot i can tell you that i'm not even going to try to hide it man so much so i don't know if you guys saw the recent video that came yeah. from um the last magic fest where i fed uh i fed vegemite to the rest of the coverage team so for those of you who've never tried vegemite it's this salty it's a like a it's a concentrated yeast paste right it's 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 an acquired taste to put it to put it mildly um, and you don't put very much of it on. Like, you're supposed to just kind of scrape it across. It, it's not like peanut butter. You know, you don't put heaps and heaps of it on. But when I'm feeding it to, like, Maria and Marshall and all the rest of them, I'm I'm just slathering it on like there's no tomorrow. And they are hating <laughs> no. it. Um, but, but, you know, it's kind of like baseball or cricket or anything else. It's just kind of a bit crap if you haven't grown up with it. Um, the more you used to it, the more you like it. And and I'll I'll put a good I'll put a good millimeter or so of... Uh, of um, oh, sorry, for you guys, that's what, like three quarters of a furlong or something i don't know but um <laughs> but two stone uh, two yeah two two fluid stones of uh of uh of vegemite now nah, dude i love vegemite if you haven't tried it probably don't because you probably won't like it so it'll probably be a massive waste of time but um uh yeah no i don't I'll, even know I'll, if you I'll... could find it in the states quite frankly you can at the import uh, aisle it's next to, like all the pulse pulse juices at mariano's I see. I see. oh there you go yeah so i mean if you want to give it a go Worst comes to worst, and this is this is not a joke. Worst comes to worst, you can make a really nice soup broth out of it. So uh, it's like um, it's like beef bouillon. If anyone's tried that mm-hmm. before, so you can actually stick a teaspoonful of full of it into uh, like a bit of soup, 
Um, like if you're making a, a broth for like, I don't know, a, a vegetable soup or, you know, beef stew or something like that, you can put it in there, uh, melt it around, stir it around, and it'll give you like a nice sort of um, heady, salty uh, taste there like that. Having said that, this this po- broad, uh, this podcast is broadly aimed at magic players. Is that correct? So they probably don't need any more salt in their diet. <laughs> Ooh. I think that was Riley's way of telling our listeners to drink more water. <laughs> you got to hydrate. Got to stay hydrated. Got to stay hydrated. <laughs> Riley, thank you so much for joining the podcast. Your time, your insights. Your, oh, thanks so much for having me. Your jokes. Where can people find you online? Uh, there's a couple of different things you can uh, you can places you can find me. Of course, uh, on Twitter at Riley Query Tower. Um, we've also got the weekly uh, internet television program called Arena Boys uh, with my friends Toffle and Yamin. Uh, if you are a fan of Serious Magic for Winners. I recommend watching almost literally any other magic video. Um, but uh, if you want to hear us argue about, uh, well, I don't know, the relative merits of Discworld novels, then that's that's the place to do it. Um, and the final plug I'll give you is for my history podcast. Halfassedhistory.net is your place uh, to find uh, my weekly history podcast. Um, it's a bit of a grab bag. I just talk about whatever I feel like that week. Um, uh, last week's episode was about, wow, we talked about my long-term memory. I cannot remember what it was about. There was a recent one on the 1904 Summer Olympics, which was pretty good. What was last week's? Oh, no, William Buckley last week. Bit of Australian history last week. So get across mm-hmm. it if, you, if you're at all interested in listening to me talk. Um, uh, it's, as I say, the only thing I'm good at. Is it on Spotify? It is. It's on Spotify. I figured out only recently how to get it on Spotify, just like a real podcast. Hey, there you go. Yeah. And we'll put links to all of, all of Riley's stuff in the show notes to this episode as well. So you can find that easily, too. Riley, when's the next time people can see you on coverage? If if this episode um, we're recording comes out this Friday, uh, so it so of course there's the Mythic Championship in Arena this uh, uh, on in Vegas this weekend. I'm not going to be there, but I'll be in Dallas the weekend after for Modern. Um, it'll be me and a couple of other CFB superstars there. I think Reed uh, Marshall, obviously Maria's there. Might be Huey. I'm not 100 percent sure. Uh, but there, yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be a great team. It's gonna be a great event. This is the first time that Mo, uh, that Modern's gonna be showcased on the big stage since Modern Horizons. So um, I'm excited to see just how good Hogak is. Um, we'll uh, you know we'll get across it in in a very interesting and compelling way. It's uh, doing doing GPS with CFB has been terrific fun, and, and I really encourage you to, to to tune in. I know I know most of viewers will be because if you know they're, if they're rusted on a Modern fans, but we'll have a great time there. Um, and then MC Barcelona at the end of July as well is uh, is going to be another modern tournament, which I know everyone's going to get across. So yeah, it's an exciting time for the format. All right then, Riley, thanks again. It was a real pleasure. You're a gentleman and a scholar. Thanks so much. I mean, in a technical sense, both of those things are true. <laughs> legally, yes, Le- I am. Legally, <laughs> yes, yes. That wraps up this week's show. If this was your first time listening because you discovered us through Riley, we exclusively cover modern every week with new episodes out every Friday. We hope you consider subscribing to our show. And likewise, if you use Apple Podcasts, we always appreciate when listeners leave us a rating or review. If you'd like to submit a question to the podcast or pick our brain on something in modern, tweet us at the dive down, all one word, or email thedivedown at gmail.com. If you see us on Reddit, feel free to send us a message there as well. If you'd like to support the show, check out our Patreon over at patreon.com slash the dive down. As always, special thanks to the bands Nowhere and Spaceblood for letting us use their music. And until next week, get out there and please ban Hogan!
Is that a Mountain Goats t-shirt, by the way? It is a Mountain Dude, Goats t-shirt. check this out. Are we both wearing Mountain Goats t-shirts right now? No. Oh, you He's got always wearing Mountain Goats t-shirts. I, I, have, right a, I have a Mountain Goats t-shirt, man. John Daniel owned my soul, man, as a teenager. He, like, wrote the yeah. soundtrack to my adolescence. Same, same. He actually gave me this t-shirt. I used to work in the music industry oh, yeah? and I got to meet him one time oh, wow. on a sales call, basically. But he was very sweet yeah. and I told him how much his music meant yeah. to me and he gave me a shirt. Yeah, I, very cool. I met him outside of a pub where he did a gig in Australia and I just, I was trying to keep it, I just cried all over him. It was terrible. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, that's cool. Probably not the first or last time. No, definitely not. That guy, like he, he, he you know, he goes hard. He's, he's not, he doesn't make music where people are like, hey, you know, I love your work and this sort of stuff. He, he makes music where people are just going to be like sobbing into him. 